Hi, welcome to Infinite Leaders Live. I'm Lewis Keynes and our why is simple. We want to be better educators and better humans. We want to support and encourage infinite learning, regardless of rank, role or responsibility, for everybody hopefully to be willing to listen and to learn. Um, I'm joined by my pal as ever, Alan Dunstan. Yeah, thank you, Lewis. And really looking forward to diving deeper into understanding how leaders with an infinite mindset translate across to their teams. We want to focus on the things you don't get taught at university or on any courses. We want real life lessons from real life people with real life experience. And as ever, we're learning, we record live and there'll be a few mistakes as we go through. I think the last one, there were a few dogs barking. That's pretty standard, but hopefully they'll be quiet through this. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback, so please get in touch. We fully believe in what we're doing and we want to get better too. So if there's anything that you spot that you think we can work on, tell us. Equally, anything you think we do well, we'd love to hear that as well. You can find us on Instagram, on YouTube, and also Alan and I are on Twitter. Um, and all the information about our podcast and about everything else that we do is at theinfinitelearners.com. So uh, listen, learn, and please share this content with your colleagues. And, and Alan, introduce our guest, please. Yeah, thanks again. It's get your pens and papers ready. There's going to be some absolute gems of wisdom coming out of the show today. Steve Weir is a UEFA licensed football coach working for the FA as the P unit manager in the UK. He has done the hard yards both academically and professionally, having taught and led in schools for seven years and obtaining a master's degree in physical education before moving into his current role. Steve is always learning and developing his career, and he's currently the first team coach at Tadcaster Albion in step four of the football pyramid. Welcome to the show, Steve. And if you could just start us off by telling our listeners a little bit about your fantastic journey. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for the introduction. Um, yeah, in the education journey-wise, so um, I met Lewis a long time ago when I started out working in schools as a teaching assistant at Boston Spa in Weatherby, around just outside Leeds. Um, that involved a year working with um, autistic children, two children in particular. Um, learned a great deal, not just about um, autism and working as a teaching assistant, but just education, being part of lessons, seeing lessons, seeing different teachers across different subjects teach and taking bits of nuggets of information and thinking, yep, yeah, I'd like to do it that way or perhaps I'd change that or I wouldn't want to be doing that. So it was an invaluable year. Um, did my PGC then following that in Manchester and got a role at St. Thomas of Beckett's in Wakefield, which um, I absolutely loved as a school there two years. Both years were temporary contracts, so it got renewed after one year. Second year, they were making cuts, unfortunately, because I wrote temporary contracts, I wanted first to go, um, which inadvertently um, made me apply for a head of PE role. Um, obviously, jobs in PE, as anyone listening to this will know, are sometimes hard to come by and um, pretty rare and scarce, and there wasn't much around at that point. So I went for this head of PE role and started going through the interview process and thinking, oh, for a minute, I might have a chance here. Um, got the job. And that was head of PE at South Leeds, which was, um, which was and still is a very tough environment to work in. But um, genuinely believed that if I brought some of the stuff from Beckett's to there to really influence PE, that could have an impact on the wider school, which I can touch on later. But I, I feel it definitely did. And we did some really positive things in physical education there. Um, an opportunity came up while I was doing my way for B license at that point. Just Stuart spoke to me and said about um, some physical physical education roles with the FA, which obviously I wasn't aware of. I didn't know they had a PE unit, um, and most people still don't. And I went for this job not really knowing what it was, 
um, I just thought it was an opportunity to try and combine football and education, which are my two main passions. And that, and I was again successful in that role, in obtaining that role. Got it, and within a year of that, I became the manager of the East Region, um, which is pretty much Leeds and Yorkshire across to the East Coast, and then down to like Watford and across. So it's a large region where we work with ITT teachers who, in primary and secondary. Um, we work with any coach or individual that is going to be in front of a child delivering physical, physical education. We work with all the professional football clubs and the coaches they send into schools to upskill them to teach rather than coach. So yeah, it's a, it's a varied job, but um, one that I absolutely love and it's sort of like culminated everything that I've been doing in the past into one role. How, um, how important were those few years in, in I know South Leeds School, and uh, I, I know it well, I've been there and it, it is a tough environment. How, how important were those years in shaping you as a, as a leader, as a professional, as a teacher? Um, I think probably the, the most important years, I'd, I'd say the years prior to that I was taking stuff in and this gave me a bit of a blank. And the head teacher at the time, a gent called Mark Doyle, was very clear with me and honest with me in saying that this is a blank canvas come in and try things that he believed as well that PE could be a massive driver for the school because of the demographics and the type of pupils we had who did have massive interest in sport and stuff. So it gave me a chance to implement my own ideas, but obviously it was implementing my own ideas in an environment that had not become stale, that's not the right word, but it got fixed in its ways and this is our pupils can't do that our pupils can't do this and I came in with very much a different mindset they can do whatever thing they can do and we got we can't put a ceiling on anything so working in that environment um, gave me the opportunity to recruit people right people make mistakes sometimes um, particularly around leadership because again the team was existing the team I came into the head of PE who had been head of PE prior hadn't been given an interview for my role but was staying so that that was naturally a tough um, tough gig as well. I had to um, try get her on side and tell her my views, but naturally she was quite frustrated. And it wasn't a reflection on me; she was frustrated with the organisation. Um, but that sort of really gave me the opportunity then then years there to develop my beliefs around leadership, what worked, what didn't. They were absolutely huge in terms of um, where I am now. Definitely. Uh, but the difference being now that it's more remote management, which again presents its own opportunity, uh, opportunities, its own obstacles. But the day-to-day um, -day management there, recruiting people, helping people move on, um, they're, all, they're all things that shaped my values now, really. Yeah, I just took something from that where you're having to deal with people on a continual level and there might be people there who are, a little bit unhappy about situations and these people in different contexts. You just touched upon your values. What are your core values then and how did you then implement or try and bring those core values into the organisation, wherever you've been? I'd say the, the first thing was like, it's like a people first sort of approach and that sounds a bit cheesy, but it's, we, the, particularly in South, South Leeds, we had to understand it was tough. It was, it was really, really, to do, you had to be very innovative to engage the pupils. And if, if you thought you'd done it well one week, thought, right, I've made some progress. The week after you tried the same thing again and it backfired. So it was firstly understanding that how tough the job was for the teachers that were within my department. And 
alongside that, making sure that I was constantly there as um, for supporting them and also understanding that they may well have come to the school as a stepping stone. So I had to give them the best possible experience and then support them in where they wanted to be on their journey. So the first, first and foremost value I'll probably have, and that's whether I'm coaching or teaching, is to find out about the person. And that's the same with um, pupils, just what, what makes them tick, what do they want from what they're doing with it, why are they at South Leeds, why did you apply for this job, where do you want to be in two years, and really supporting them in whatever way I can to do that. And um, I would like to think, um, if you spoke to the teachers, particularly that worked at South Leeds, I helped, well, I did help them in terms of just supporting with interviews and the methodologies I had around teaching and stuff that I've laid down. I see it regularly, I'm in touch with them all, that they've all progressed on to bigger and better things, which I would like to think I was part of in some way. So the, the first core value would be understanding the people, what makes them tick, where they want to go, and how can I make that, or how can I support them on that journey? I think it's absolutely huge that we understand that. How important is supporting people to go on to do bigger and better things? Because obviously in a situation like you were in there, that kind of school sounds tough. It's, it's a tough environment to be in. Some people might want to stay because of the culture you've created. Some people, more people I imagine, might want to move ship, jump ship and go, go somewhere else and do something else. How, is, how as a leader can, can you accept that you want people to go on and do that and to not stay with you and build with you in, in what you're doing um, in, in the team that you're trying to build? I think it probably goes back to my own personal um, ambitions. I mean, I, I would say that I've been ambitious since the day I started at um, Boston Spire, the TA, and I knew where I wanted to go in terms of teaching, and that was as far as I could, or as high as I could, as quickly as I could. Um, and I think if, if I'd have had a manager or a line manager or someone who I was working who would try to put a ceiling on that, I would have found it really frustrating. Um, and if ever that sort of situation has occurred, I've found it really frustrating. So I've tried to draw my own experiences, which isn't always right, because again, that's my personal outlook as, as to what how I would feel if someone was trying to make me stay. So for example, I think of one teacher, I won't name him, but I got on with him really well, brilliant, and he was really torn between this opportunity. I was closer to home, um, did providing him an opportunity in terms of um, moving up the teaching ladder, as it were. The school we were in at South Leeds had given him two days of teaching on a non-PE subject, which he found frustrating, and I'd, I'd fought to make that only one as best I could, so it got reduced to one day. But he was still frustrated on the non-men days. He was a shadow of the person he was normally. So I felt it was my responsibility for his own mental well-being more than anything to really support him in trying to get this role back had come up um, and as you say Lewis he, he was torn he was torn between being part of this journey we were on as a PE unit a PE department should I say or to move on and push himself a little bit further in his career and um, in the end he went for the latter but I think it's just drawing my own experiences and I didn't want to frustrate people as soon as you become frustrated then they're not they're not part of the journey anymore they're not, they're not on the bus and the bus analogy is something again referring back to Mark Doyle's head teacher was massive on and if you're not on this journey that we were on in trying to improve the school and the culture and the environment then you need to get off the bus as quick as you can which I do I do align with still now I think if you're not if you don't want to be part of the journey 
than um, the people you've got on this journey without the right people, then you're not going to get anywhere. I still, I still agree with that now. To this day. You talk there about culture, Steve. How, how do you create the culture that you want within your team? When, when I went to South Leeds, probably, um, I probably did too much in terms of um, leading by example stuff. And I say leading by example, but I was doing things that I thought that were just to be expected of a PE teacher that a couple of the department probably had fallen out of the habits of doing. So little things like when I got there, there were very few teams, very little extracurricular. There were a few, I'm not saying there were none, but com comparably, I've come from Beckett's, which was half the size, maybe a third of the size in the school. And there was endless opportunities in a school where there was very limited facilities. So um, at first it was really leading by example. So this is how this is how we're going to be working, or this is how I'm going to be working. This is the pace I'm going to be working at. Um, these are the ways I'm going to be approaching teaching my lessons. For example, I, I encouraged anyone to come into any of my lessons and watch them across the school, not just in PE. And I wanted to show them how I would be working and what level I'd be working at. Um, then it was a case of, as referred to earlier, you either in it, you're either with me or you're not. Um, to be fair, I never had to use that line, you're either with me or you're not. People, I think, quickly realised that there was going to be some changes, not just because I'd been brought in as LPE, but there was lots of changes across the school. So, first of all, it was probably like leading by example. Um, it, that, the first session I had, the first well, session before I actually started, I went in and was given more piece of paper about what they felt worked well in the department, what they felt needed to be improved, what they found frustrating about the school. And again, getting back to try to know them. And I remember after doing it, one of the um, one of the PE teachers came up to me and said, no one's ever asked me normally in teaching any of them sort of questions. And I went, well, I think it's important that we all have input. And, and there was not a thing, there was nothing I implemented that someone hadn't suggested from someone in the team. I, did, I didn't say we're just doing this. So that quickly became a realisation to them that they weren't just answering these questions or saying these things to me for nothing and that I would act on them and represent them. And I, one thing that that's led to is my time as a manager and probably sometimes to my own detriment um, is the fact that I, will, I do feel I've got my team back for want of a better phrase. I will fight for them. I will um, fight for what I believe is right for the people in my team and that happened when I was at South Leeds. It happens now as a manager at the FA. I feel that I'm, I do that well. And even off, off outside of school or my day-to-day -day job in terms of coaching, if, if I believe in something for my players, I'll do my best to um, get it from. Cause I, and I think that if, in terms of if you've asked any of my current employees, or would to say something along them lines that I've got the back, which is important, again, particularly in the environment that I've worked in. Yeah, you know, having their back is one thing, but if if I if I've listened to you right before we started and before we started recording, you know, you're a busy man. You work as a as a manager for the FAP unit. You're the first team coach at Tadcaster Albion. You know, a very prestigious non-league club in in the north of England, and you also created what is Leeds' probably biggest or, or most successful junior team in in northeast Leeds juniors with, with over five hundred kids playing football. And you do all those three jobs now, currently, um, alongside one another somehow. 
Um, maybe you can tell us how you do that and, and what are the consistencies that you see in terms of, of how you lead all three of those projects or, or job roles or, or how you see those and, and, and what the similarities are? Um, well, I suppose on the, the football front, so yeah, well, I don't say unfortunately, I'm glad it's not bigger than what it is. Not, I wouldn't say we're the biggest, but we're certainly one of them. Um, I set that up when I was at uni and... Why? Everyone, everyone I speak to generally asks why. Why did you set up your own club? Um, and I think again, it was just, I was doing. I was coaching anyway. Um, just some grassroots football coaching that I've been doing, and I remember I was like an assistant to this gent. Again, I won't mention his name. And then I thought, this isn't, this isn't for me. This, this isn't this isn't what I see as how we should be working with kids or the philosophy we should be teaching our players, which has changed over the years. Myself, obviously. But, and I went and set up my own, and it was a team then. It wasn't a club, it was just a team, and a lot of the pupils went to Boston Spa. Um, and then it just snowballed into what it is now, where we've got um, yeah, 500 kids, boys and girls, ages five upwards. So I sometimes have to just, I, I say, you call it a job, but that's obviously a voluntary role as well, so, but it is a, full, a full-time job. Um, I've, I've taken a bit of a back step in terms of managing it. I, take, I've, I, I only coach my daughter's under sevens team now with my wife, um, which is on a Saturday morning just before I go to um, Tadcaster for a fixture with adults in the Northern Premier. So it's a bit of a, con- <laughs> bit of a contrast. So Saturday morning I'm running around pretending to be Shrek or whatever I'm doing. And then in the afternoon um, with the lads at Tadcaster. So... The, the management, time management is has become an issue as the club's got bigger, but I've just delegated a lot better, which I'm very, and in terms of areas I need to develop or I've needed to develop so leadership, I've not been very good at delegating. I don't know if it's a trust issue or just I feel I should do it myself or what. But, um, the club the club now, we're very fortunate to have loads of, we've got over 50 volunteers who are really taking on more responsibility and managing to alleviate some of that for me. And then, the coaching at Tadcaster is um, that's a mass. It's a new thing for me. I've always worked with juniors, really. Um, so I progressed under 19s last year, and then got an opportunity given to me by one of your mates, Curtis Woodhouse, who um, ex Sheffield United. He didn't know I was a Wednesday fan when he gave him that opportunity, ironically. <laughs> um, and then Curtis moved on, and um, a good colleague and friend of mine, Paul Quinn, took over, and I stayed on with him. And that's just again a different challenge but what I've actually found learned most about that is the stuff that you do with kids the teaching strategies I've used over the years the stuff I've already talked about in terms of culture finding out about individuals is no different at that level as than it is with my under seven girls or with my year eight PE session it's the amount of things that I've been able to just transition over into that environment is is remarkable and that's that's been quite um, pleasing to see. And it's something, a message I've given to a lot of people who are thinking about doing something similar in terms of moving into adult football, senior football, particularly colleagues, XP colleagues or people I know work in that environment, that it's nothing to be afraid of because it is, it's all the same skills and the same values and ethos and beliefs. It transfers over across all three. Um, but the um, in terms of managing people, the the club one has almost become impossible because I've given more ownership to managers, team managers to recruit people and then I'm adding people to WhatsApp groups that I've probably never met. And um, 
that's tough because I've, I used to probably knew the name of every player and every manager and every coach in the club when I, five years ago, which I can't do now, but I need to, like I say, I'm not very good with that um, delegating, letting go, trusting. <laughs> so, Tell us a bit more about the delegating things. I, I know where you're coming from. Is it, is it that um, anxiety that you might have? I don't want to put words in your mouth, so ex- correct me and explain it if I'm wrong, but is it that you... You don't want to be perceived as lazy and as if not, you don't want to do things. You want to get hold of them and do them yourself and show people you're working hard. But is there also some trust issues in that? You know, are you wanting to control everything? See, you see, I, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't class myself as controlling, but actually the more I think about the conversation we're having now, it's probably making me reflect on it a little bit. I still don't call it controlling. Um, and I'm, def- I'm definitely, in, in my work now at the FA, I'm, I'm definitely happy to delegate. And to be fair, I don't even have to delegate because the calibre of people within my team and our unit have so, there's a big years of experience teaching, the quality and the experiences they have. They're very innovative anyway. I give them a lot of autonomy to do things because they, in many areas, they know a lot more than me. So um, it's not really been an issue there. But when I was at South Leeds, if you think back to when, I started and I said, how did I inspire the culture? It was sort of like that. I did everything. And then, which in hindsight wasn't the best way of doing it, obviously. But, and I don't think, then I struggled to let go a little bit and, like say, probably a bit of trust. Um, and I don't know if that had been put into me by what people had told me about school or what. Not, there wasn't really any pressure on me to get the department to any certain place, but I felt that I had to... And I wanted to have an impact and maybe I tried to drive that too much myself. Um, but I suppose it is. I suppose if you, look, if you want to call it controlling, Lewis will go with controlling. But um, I've definitely got better at it. But it's something I've always been aware of, that my delegating and trusting people to do it. The amount of times I've said to myself, if you want someone to do it right, do it yourself. Yeah, and, and that, yeah. that's the, the, the kind of thing I'm touching on there. When I use the word controlling, I'm not, I'm not suggesting you have to have that kind of... Um, impact around everything and that kind of control of everything but it's more what you've just you've mentioned there is that if you want something doing and you know how it's done oftentimes the easy option is to get it done yourself because you know how do you find that line between something you know that you know you want to delegate but it's trying to get that information across in the right way that suggests listen i know i could do this myself but it's also going to be really good for you to do this and i can't do everything myself where's that line of yeah i do delegate or actually, no, I'm going to do this myself. Where, where has that been for you? Because you've been really open there and told us it's something you're working on. So as you cognitively process these things you've got to do, where does that delegation come in and where does it sit as something that you're going to do yourself? I think um, particularly, again, coming out of teaching, um, I mean, the work-life balance and opportunity to reflect and think has been significantly more than it was when I was teaching them coming out and working for the FA, they literally are. I remember when we first started, they were saying that we needed to designate our time, designate time in our working week because we manage our own diaries to reflect and think on the week and take notes and really look at how you can improve and develop, which I know people say that in schools, but just the reality of it is you start out of time. So when I came out of it, it's something that I'm really focused on in terms of time management. So it's the first, imagine coming out from timetable at school you know exactly what you're doing where and when you know when you've got staff meeting you know when apart from maybe the fixture the only thing a little different for PE but it's quite structured and then come out and then you've got your own diary knock yourself out 
I'm like, what do you mean I've got my own diary? I'm like, you book in when you need to. You've got to do this many days with a club, this many days with me, Beckett University or University level. Just go do it. And I struggled with that. And I don't, I wasn't the only one who struggled with it. I think everyone who came out of teaching struggled with it. So, it, but it did give me a lot of time to think about my work-life balance and what things I can say no to and what I couldn't. So first year when I wasn't in a management role, just getting my head around that and then using that experience in, when I did become into a management role, what that you have to say no sometimes to things. And um, that, again, is difficult. When you, when you want to do a good job and you want to please people and you want to support people and you want to support people on journeys, sometimes it's really tough to say no, but it has to be done. So... And what you just said there, Lewis, actually, is one really good way of not spinning it, but it's, it's a fact that by providing these opportunities to other people in, in your team, it gives them that experience of doing that. And then in terms of going back right to the beginning of this conversation, I want to be giving people the opportunity to progress and maybe carry out tasks that they isn't actually part of their day-to-day role, but will give them experience moving forward where they can refer to and say, look, I did this report in for Steve before which touched on this this and this which maybe they wouldn't have done previously so saying no learning how to say no at the right time um, for my own work-life balance and also to provide opportunities for others. It's very interesting Steve there where where as younger educators coaches we all tend to be in that pace setter leadership style where we we really want to set the tone. And as we get older, we, we, we revert more back to a more democratic style. And, and I think that comes with experience. And, and yeah. it's certainly something that all our leaders that we've talked to have developed over time. I'm just going to take it back a step. And as a dad, I'm always finding that battle hard to the, the work side and the, and the family side. How, how, what challenges does that bring to you? You're having a family yourself and, and, and doing all your three different jobs that you've got. Um, well, I had Frankie. Well, I had Frankie. My mum the misses of Frankie when um, when I was twenty one. So when Frankie was born, I wasn't actually working in education. I um, probably for the reason that my wife fell pregnant and I might have panicked a bit. Um, I took a took an opportunity at that time to work randomly for British Gas. Um, they had like a quick. Um, quick fire apprenticeship course that would be done in a year and you'd be qualified to fit centrally and stuff and I think I was sort pound signs rather than anything and then um, I remember being under a floor one day I know it again sounds cheesy under a floor one day like, what am I doing here like I'd all, all I'd ever wanted to be since the age I was 10 since, since the age you could decide what career you wanted to be was a PE teacher that's all all I'd ever said and then um, came home and said to my wife um, again, Frankie was born at this point. Um, I can't keep doing this. And she's like, you just need to go to uni and whatever the sacrifices we have to make to do it, because she was at uni at the time as well, whatever sacrifices we have to make to do it, which were obviously made mainly financially, um, we, we'll do it. And luckily I got a clearing place and it turned out that I got, I got into PE and then I got on a PE course as did my degree. And then we are where we are now. But that, in terms of my career, probably if Frankie hadn't have been born at that stage in my career to really make me think I, I can't be doing this long-term future and stuff like that. Um, not, not that there's anything wrong with what I was doing in terms of the career and stuff like that, but it just wasn't what I wanted to do. So that uh, coupled with my wife pushing me 
was really the reason I am where I am now. And then in terms of managing that now as a as a father, so my daughter's seven, my son's fourteen, and and we'll be in bed till about two o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> but my my daughter's seven, and then I never took Frankie to school, never never picked him up, um, because I was teaching. Um, I take my daughter and pick her up most days now. So in terms of the balance, again, I referred to the difference between working for the FA and teaching. And probably just something I've realised that it's not just because I work for the FA, it's just outside of teaching. People tend to have more flexibility. A lot of my friends have got jobs where they can pick the kids up and they'll do makeup hours here and everywhere. A lot more flexible learning, I think, uh, working, should I say. I think this situation we're in now probably make employers realise that we can be more flexible with how we work. Obviously, again, that will apply to teachers. So the role I've got now has been massively beneficial in terms of seeing my kids, like I said, taking them working at school. But uh, my wife would probably say otherwise because as soon as she gets in, I'm off out the door to um, do a coaching session or something <laughs> on my mind. Um, she's, a deputy, she's a deputy head though, so I barely see her as well. So it all, it all works out. Yeah, t- teaching couples, I, I, same for me, Steve. I, I barely see my wife. We like... Ships that pass in the night. <laughs> That's a phrase she uses every time. Like she came in on Tuesday. Well, ships passing in wind and like, yeah. I, I, what I really love there, Steve, is that where you were under the floorboards and you had that <laughs> moment. How important is it to follow your passions? Well, that that's exactly the point I'm making, really. I'd... I'd I don't know if I've become um, at that point of my life, probably around 18, 19, a bit disillusioned with education. And that's probably um, just down to the experiences I had, really. Um, but it was, I, I just moved away from um, the PE side. I mean, when I was at college, I, the highest grade I got were in graphic design. So I, I just sort of like, just went with that as like a, I didn't really evaluate. I thought, well, that's the highest grade I've got. I'll do something with that, which sort of contradicts obviously going to British Gas. But I'd worked as a graphic designer for the three years before that. Um, and it was just always constantly niggling me. And it took probably my wife to really keep going on about it, saying, you need to do it while you can and while Frankie's young and uh, while his responsibilities are going to be what they are going to be in the future to really do it. And that I would say to anyone who listens to this and watching this, just do everything you can to um, succeed in where you want to be. Because I, I would say my journey from that point was far from um, smooth. Um, something I've Lewis is aware of, and I know you are on from the conversation I've had before this, but the, um, I, it was worth it, and I should have done it at an earlier stage. So if there's something you want to do, you've got you've got to pursue it. And I just got sidetracked I think by um, a bit of disillusionment with education I didn't perceive myself as someone who wanted to be going to uni and which was wrong and just probably a bit of ego arrogance 18 year old shadow of the person I am now (laughs) I hope it's the it's that reflection though as we get older and you look back on 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 your growing up and, and and the choices you've made those choices there when you were being that graphic designer and when you were being uh, the, the the gas engineer, does that does it now make you more appreciative though? And, and does it really drive your core values as to you can reflect on, I was doing something I didn't enjoy and now I love it? 
Yeah, definitely. Because the, um, like I say, the journey from there wasn't wasn't particularly smooth. But I think even when I was a tier at Boston Spa, um, just being in a classroom, and not this again. Referring back to it, it people probably start thinking, oh, it sounds really cheesy, but it's not. I was, I remember being in, in lessons with um, particularly one of the lads who I um, was working with all the time. And I've, I've been in Lewis's PE lessons, I've been in a few of the other PE lessons, and within a week of what being in that job, I knew that's where my future was. I had to do whatever I could to, to get to that level as quickly as I could. And, um, Straight, yeah, it was, it was, I, I can think back on it now. I remember being in the change rooms. I want one of your lessons, Lewis. I think it was, um, <laughs> I won't say his name either. But just, just being in the change rooms and doing register and then going out. And it was a football lesson, ironically. I was straight away, I remember coming home and having a conversation. And to this day, I can remember it vividly. Going in and just saying to them, this is, I need, to, this is what I need to be doing. Because also, you got, to, I, if I'm brutally honest, that year was an opportunity for me to find out if it really was what I wanted to do. So you've got we working in a school, what I could have had an awful experience and thought, no, this is not for me, but <laughs> another career ticked off. But um it wasn't and that was the real like epiphany for me that working in that school, working with them pupils and all the pupils in the school was my epiphany and like this is what I want to do, this is what I need to do. It was the, mainly the impact on people and again working with them two lads who I referred to, the two lads who were both had Varying, varying um, levels of autism. If you look on a spectrum, different needs. But I formed a really positive relationship with them, and felt I had a positive impact on them alone. And then that feeling of really supporting someone and having that positive impact is irreplaceable. And I would would not want to be doing a job in whatever context without having been able to have that impact. That's what that's. If you think about the term, what gets you out of bed every day. That's what gets me out of bed every day. If I can do a course with 20 trainee teachers and they take some away, that's going to make them teach higher quality PE when they start. And that's great. Brilliant. So linking onto that, you, you, you give us an answer there for what gets you out of bed every day. What, what's the purpose and the, your own personal vision that, that drives what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? What, what are you trying to achieve through the numerous roles you do with people, with sport and with, with physical education? I think it's um, around enhancing the experiences that they're that mainly young people are having. So if you take the Tadcaster thing is away from the roles I'm doing, that's more of a um, selfish hobby that, I, that I've got. That's different. It's a little bit different. But at the same time... It's a selfish hobby that gives 500 and odd kids a chance to play football, all right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't mean North East. I'm more about, I'm more, more about the adults at Tadcaster that... But but I'll come back to that in terms of what we're doing in terms of opportunities for them. But it's to if I go back to my point that I said I was a bit disillusioned with education. My PE when I was at school was um, we didn't have any fields. We got a bus on a Friday afternoon, drove to adult playing fields. We did cross country and then played football for five years. So th th we didn't do anything else. One time the teacher, PE teacher, was mainly a rugby man, and he tried to make us play rugby, and that just ended in carnage. So he just went back to, <laughs> you do your cross country, sooner you finish cross country, you play football. Now, obviously you could say that didn't detrimentally impact me because of the career path I'm now involved in. But I want 
my vision is for everyone to experience high quality PE and not just PE and sport, be involved, make choices at a young age that will influence them for the life for life. And I think and I say this to um the trainees we work with and anyone I work with, um particularly in the foundation stage of school, so your receptions and year one teachers, the, the responsibility on them is absolutely monumental. Because they have to give them kids that first experience that is positive, that hooks them in and thinks, yeah, I want a bit of this. I want to be, I want to be doing this. I want to be physically active. I want to be playing sport. I want to be playing these TIG games. I want to be lion, a lion out of Lion King chasing hyenas around. That's what, that's what we want. And that's what really is my, my vision, I suppose, is for everyone to experience that. Well, I'm, it's naive of me to say that everyone will experience it, but to certainly increase the number of people that are receiving high quality um, teaching and learning, particularly in PE. Um, it's an interesting point you made about, you know, starting with your EYFS teachers and year one teachers, because more often than not, that they're the people that haven't got the the training and the knowledge and the, the progress and development behind them in specialist subjects such as PE to actually give the kids the good environment and the good um, experiences that they needed to, to really crack on and push on. What, what, what's happening with that from an FAPE unit point of view and, and how's the work with what you're doing helping that to, to change? Because it's a great point you raised. And, and, yeah. and if they have those negative experiences through key stage one, you know, it, it can be quite difficult to pull back. It is well. One of my colleagues always uses analogy with the teachers around. If you go to a restaurant, it's a bad meal. You aren't going back. And he uses, <laughs> it, he uses it all the time. But if you put strip that back to a child who may have uh, maybe stood around in the cold, um, don't touch a ball and tig anyone, isn't involved in the lesson in any sort of way, then naturally they're going to become disengaged. But in terms of going back to the original point of what we're doing at the FA with that, the, the main way of combating that is we have we have relationships with 68 universities across the country and that predominantly that relationship stems from working with their primary PGCE students or they might have sketch students who they work with as well and we go in there and we do um, which is something I've led on actually the early years element I've led on the early years workshops that we've created um, which again I've handed over to people and they've taken to different levels and put their own spin on but the, it is something that's popular and something that's requested a lot from the universities because even some of the people who are delivering the courses unless it's an early year specific course haven't really got the um, experience or knowledge around what PE could look like in early years so we do a lot of workshops around that we have an award called primary teachers award uh, we deliver which is a, like a one-day course around um, teaching PE in primary schools not, it's not a football course, and that's the first thing we introduce ourselves as is saying we might have a three lines on his chest and stuff, but this is not a football course, this is a PE, teaching PE in primary course. So we do a lot of work there with that, um, and similarly in the clubs that we all have assigned, we'll do workshops and we'll do mentoring, and everything I think stems from the first thing, the first focus has to be around early years and key stage one for me, for the reasons I've already alluded to. So we do a, it's something we're heavily focused on. And in terms of football side from the FA, which we're not so much involved with, they're very much around, they've got a philosophy in England, DNA, around the foundation phase, DNA around what young players should be doing, should be dribbling all the time. We shouldn't be having coaches on the side saying, pass, 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 because they they're not ready to pass, they're not comfortable on a ball yet. 
So there's a lot of work going on in terms of customer FA, but education-wise, it's something I've really got stuck into. That's been my like focus for area development for myself in terms of developing my knowledge around it. But it's been something that I've really focused in with, with the, everyone I work with, the teachers, the training teachers, the coaches. Because I think if you get that right, I think there's like a conception, a misconception, should I say, that um, once a pupil is in year six in a primary school, that they're an adult. And I think if to get it right in key stage one with hooks, um, engaging people with themes, find out what makes their classes tick, the same principle applies from age five upwards to adults. Mm. And if they can get that bit right, because if you look at teachers, like you just said, and a whole the lessons they deliver in early years are unbelievable. So I've had lessons. I've, my wife, for example, when she was doing year one, she throws, throws something in a massive ice block and there were like footprints all over the classroom and the kids come in and like, wow, what's this? And it just inspires them. And then for some reason, as they get to like key stage two, it's like, oh no, it's all about sats. They're too, they're too old for stuff like that. Well, they're not. And I've, I've done it myself first hand. I've had teachers do it first hand. It's just um, using them principles that we learn in early years around teaching PE, around it being fun. It has to be engaging. It has to be differentiated, keeping them all the way through. So it's a massive focus of mine is the long and short of it. And that, that sounds like some really worthwhile work. I like the idea of, you know, you never grow out of fun. <laughs> so true. You know, if, if something's fun, you're going to enjoy it. It doesn't matter what age you are. And those key stage one experiences are so crucial. And, and the fact that, well, Alan and I, when, when you kindly invited us to, to help a couple of months ago, we had no idea that the FAP unit did PE, not football. Um, and I'm sure there'll still be a misconception that because it is the FA that it is just football based. And, and to hear that you're doing something so holistic and based around uh, curriculum needs and empowering teachers is huge. And I know that you, your webinars and the different workshops you've done have been hugely popular. Uh, and, and I hope that continues for you. It sounds like a, a great project. Yeah, it's the, that's the biggest thing from them webinars that we did um, in terms of feedback that we saw was around people and going back to having an impact and why you get out of bed so many people saying they've literally rewritten the curriculum off the back of it they've totally changed how PE is going to be delivered in their school from September um, they've removed the sport specific elements in key stage one or key stage they've gone to a, um, they've, they've planned themes and hooks and just just then they're, they're the game changers for me so if, if someone comes on that series of webinars and that's the impact it has. That's, that is a game changer because that's potentially hundreds of children in one school getting a better deal than what they were getting before in terms of PE. So that's, that's massive and I think we've done some really good work in that space. All right. Cheers, Steve. We're just going to wind it in a little bit now. Um, could you start by just telling us what book you're reading at the moment? Um, I'd started a new one, but the one I finished about two or three days ago was um, Phil Jackson book, Eleven Rings. Um, I obviously inspired by watching the um, Chicago Bulls documentary. Yeah. Um, I thought it'd be interesting to get his ideas on because he's been very successful with different teams, just to see what um, leadership techniques he used, which are very different to what most of us probably would use. Yeah, it was the documentary was fantastic. How he dealt with all the egos that he had to deal with and the different situations, and we've talked about it on previous shows. Is how would you have dealt with the G 
Jordan and uh, and and Rodman and them guys. What do you think, Steve? I don't know. I mean, I mean, to, and the way he approached, particularly looking like his nickname was the Zen Master, and um, to propose things like that to characters like that, um, that takes a lot of courage in the first place. But to actually engage them in it as well, to some, I know in his book he does say that sometimes they said they were engaging in it, but they weren't really. <laughs> but at least they were, they were humouring him at least and, and getting involved in it for the team, for the sake of the team, which that is absolutely unbelievable how we had managed to get people to that way of thinking. But I think what's clear from his book, that which probably isn't as clear in the documentaries, that it wasn't something that happened overnight. So when he was the LA Lakers working with um, Kobe Bryant, for example, that took three, four years really to get um, Kobe Bryant to realise the importance of the team. Um, took a long time so he's obviously got incredible resilience and persistence and one of the things I took from that was the repetition just repeating the same message over and over again until, until as long as you need to until it sinks in um, but yeah it's, it was a real good read and I've seen one that was another book he's done on just his, on just his final season with the LA Lakers which might go into even more detail about how he managed that so I'm going to be looking into that one next but yeah that's the last book I've read yeah, it's a good one. I think I'll add that to my, my reading list at the moment. What's your three non-negotiables as a leader? Um, initiative. People people who are working for me need to have initiative. Um, I don't want people coming to me with um, problems without solutions. And um, I think with, uh, pretty quickly they realise that. And I'd, like I say, they might run something by now. I'm going to try this. That's and that's fine. I'll always let them go ahead and do that. And that, I suppose, relates to the other one around bravery, to try new things um, when we're delivering a course, try a new approach, try a different way of delivering a game, try a different theoretical approach, see what happens. Because generally, particularly when you're delivering a course and the people sat in front of you and the FA, they assume, <laughs> they assume rightly or wrongly that you know what you're talking about. So... Um, it gives you an opportunity just to try things and the learners aren't going to know any different and hopefully the experience they get will be no different. So bravery around trying new things and ultimately um, working hard. I know that's going to be the easiest thing ever to say, but I, I don't think you can get anywhere without putting in the extra mile, doing the thing, things that aren't on your job spec, aren't on your job description, that people won't tell you to do. You need to go that extra mile sometimes if, if, even if it's for yourself, if it's for a colleague, if it's for a pupil, if it's for a player, whatever it may be, there's always going to be something that you have to be prepared to go the extra mile. So um, that is a big one for me. Yeah, great. Yorkshire grafters, they're the best kind as well. Yeah, yeah it's obviously, <laughs> obviously, it's natural for you. I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Lewis, last one. Yeah, tell us... Um... If you were to give um, one recommendation to a, an aspiring leader or your younger self or, or even to your son um, as, a, as a football player coming through the ranks and, a, and about to go into his GCSEs at school, what, what kind of advice would you, would you give out if you were to give just one piece of advice? Surround yourself with um, different ideas and different people because um, I think a lot of the things I've already mentioned in terms of making decisions not to go to university or college or um, various things throughout my career is because I was getting the same voices saying the same things, giving me the same, and you become a product of your environment. And I know that in one of the, in one of the books I've read, um, 
by Matthew Said, it talks about echo chambers, and I thought that was that was huge because like you just hear the same thing over and over again, and you become a product of that environment, which I think is what happened to me. So I would I would certainly suggest that you surround yourself with as many different people. And I, don't, I don't mean in terms of necessarily diversity in terms of um, race or ethnicity. I mean diversity in ways of thinking, diverse thinking, and listen to all their opinions, however far removed from your own they may seem you probably take something from it that will help you help shape your future so that would be my biggest thing to any aspiring leader is surround yourself with people who will give you different opinions and views which particularly in the team i've got now at the fa in just in my as a unit as a whole it's brilliant for that so many people will challenge and check and challenge in the right way um and I think that's really helped me develop as an individual. So yeah, that'll be my key thing. Nice. Right. Avoid the avoid the kind of <clears throat> excuse me, yes culture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and and, yeah. and and exactly one of those things that you know Alan's alluded to it a few times that a perspective changes on as you get older. You know, certainly speaking from experience, growing up as a teenager, you want to be around people who who say yes and who who who, who think that what you're doing is right, and you want to be telling them that that's right and everything changes and turns on its head as you get that little bit older and you realize that that's in no way healthy you want those different opinions and, and somebody to tell you that you're wrong or at least to check yourself a little bit yeah in terms of creativity and coming up with ideas as a team and stuff like that, it's huge it's just you don't want i don't want to be coming up with something and going yeah 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 people are thinking well why why are we doing that what what if this happened you need them people around you so yeah that's a big one for me Steve, thanks a lot for coming on. Really enjoyed that chat. Um, guys, search Infinite Leaders Live on YouTube and IGTV. Again, Alan and I are on Twitter if you want to hear our ramblings and opinions. We're also pleased to announce that we're on all popular podcast platforms now. Um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, you'll find us there. So please share far and wide. And we'd love it if you could subscribe and leave a review. Um, the reviews and subscriptions help us get our message out to more people. Please share. Uh, with colleagues and with friends and people who you think will benefit and, 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 and find what we're doing enjoyable. And remember to visit theinfinitelearners.com too. In there you'll find articles, webinars and, and our weekly journal notes as well. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot for listening. Ta-ra. Thank you guys. Cheers.